all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, we live in a wired society. Have you ever been concerned about how all these electronic devices are affecting your children? Does social media affect their relationships with friends or with you? What's a good rule of thumb for how much time kids should spend online? We'll be answering these questions and any others that you might have as we discuss the effects of electronic devices on you and your family. And you can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lori London. In the federal death penalty trial of Dylan Roof, the judge is reminding jurors that sentencing is solely in their hands. The instruction comes after a survivor of the Charleston church attack said Roof belongs in the, quote, pit of hell for what he did. South Carolina Public Radio's Alexandra Olgan reports. Federal Judge Richard Gergel denied the defense's motion for a mistrial. Roof's attorneys had asked for one based on testimony from survivor Felicia Sanders. During cross-examination, she heard Roof, 21 at the time, say he was going to kill himself. She said she was counting on that because he is pure evil and the only place he belongs is in the pit of hell. Defense attorneys objected to that statement later, but the judge overruled. Attorneys again prodded the judge to strike those comments. Instead, he instructed jurors that the decision on whether to sentence Dylan Roof to death is up to them, not survivors, family members, or attorneys. For NPR News, I'm Alexandra Olgan in Charleston, South Carolina. A magnitude 6.5 earthquake struck off the coast of Northern California this morning. As NPR's Richard Gonzalez reports, there are no initial reports of damage. The quake struck at about 7 a.m. Pacific time, located about 100 miles off the coast of Humboldt County. The nearest town is Ferndale, with a population of about 1,300 residents. That's Redwood and Marijuana country. So far, people are reporting a strong rolling sensation, followed by a strong jolt. There are reports that the quake was felt from central Oregon as far south as Monterey County in California. The National Weather Service has not issued a tsunami warning. Richard Gonzalez, NPR News, Oakland, California. The U.S. military has attacked the main hospital in the Iraqi city of Mosul. NPR's Jane Araf reports the airstrikes were targeting ISIS fighters. The U.S. military doesn't normally target hospitals. It says it launched the airstrikes to help Iraqi forces who are under fire from ISIS fighters controlling the hospital complex. It says ISIS was using the building as a command and control center, attacking Iraqi forces with car bombs and rocket-propelled grenades. There's no word on civilian casualties. The strikes come as Iraqi forces wage a seven-week-old campaign to crush Islamic State militants. 
who control Iraq's second-largest city. President-elect Donald Trump is nominating Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt, a climate change skeptic, to lead the Environmental Protection Agency. The pick is not going over well with environmental groups. The Sierra Club equates the choice to putting an arsonist in charge of fighting fires. Pruitt has been a supporter of the fossil fuel industry and an outspoken critic of what he calls the EPA's activist agenda. Fewer Americans filed for unemployment benefits last week for the 92nd straight week. The job market is now near full employment, with the government reporting last week it fell to a nine-year low. This is NPR. It's about to cost more to park at the three big airports serving the New York City area. At LaGuardia, the maximum daily rate in central terminal lots will go up to $59 starting Saturday. Daily parking rates at Newark, Liberty International, and JFK will also increase in early January. After a hotly contested vote in Ghana, the Electoral Commission claims there was an attempt to hack its website, which was offline for four hours. NPR's Ophabia Quist Arkton reports citizens are anxiously awaiting results of the presidential race. Ghana's election agency says its site was targeted by hackers, though no false results were posted. The outcome of the presidential vote is expected Saturday. The election is seen as a test of stability for one of Africa's most established democracies, once praised by President Obama for its peaceful transfers of power. Secretary of State John Kerry called Ghana's leading candidates recently, urging them to ensure a credible vote and reject violence. During a tense campaign, President John Dramani Mahama called for continuity, saying his first-term record was good. Opposition veteran challenger Nana Kufuadu criticizes Ghana's sluggish economic growth and some high-profile corruption scandals under Mahama's watch. Ophelia Quistalton, NPR News, Dakar. The U.S. Surgeon General is warning young people that vaping is not a good alternative to smoking. In a report being released today, he says e-cigarettes could lead to a whole new generation being addicted to nicotine. I'm Lori London, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Pajamagram Company offering 27 matching holiday pajamas for the whole family, including cats and dogs, and with Charlie Brown and Norman Rockwell themes, in knits, fleece, and flannel. More at pajamagram.com. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kids and teens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. 
You know, in today's world, just about everybody out there has access to a smartphone or mobile electronic device. You know, even people that you never thought would pick that up, right? It's like, like I don't know, uh, grandparents that you thought, okay, they're always going to be mailing things with letters and writing things down, you know, with a pencil and paper. And you turn around and... They're using that iPhone to take notes. It might take them a while, but they're using them. Well, everybody's using those. We all depend on them now to stay both connected with each other for our work environments. Uh, just about everybody is expected to do that. And children and teens are spending more and more time on them as well. But just what kind of effects are they having on our kids and all of us as adults as well? We'll be discussing these issues this morning as we're talking about electronic devices and social media. And as usual, we would love to hear your questions or comments. And I know plenty of people have lots of comments, at least, and questions about this issue because that's the reason why we're talking about it today is because of all the questions that I see in clinic and uh, and get um, in when I'm seeing families for all kinds of different things. So if you have a question or a concern, give us a call today. You can reach us by calling one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. So electronic devices and social media. Um, you know, several decades ago, I'm old enough now that I can remember sort of what things were were like before we had all that, before the internet. And, um, you know, it's it's really amazing how we can stay connected to people. As many of you know, uh, we've had one of our uh, guests on the show, Dr. Chris Henry, uh, who's a dentist and orthodontist now in Florida, was in Alaska, and uh, he's been on the show a couple of times by phone. Uh, and that's one way we can stay connected is through those devices that we have in really instantaneous ways. There's really not anywhere on the planet that you can't stay in contact with somebody now uh, using some type of device uh, that uh, used to take long periods of time to connect with them. But with that comes lots of changes. And I think it's real easy when you think about our own use as adults uh, with those electronic devices, with social media, to think about how easy it is for us to stay in contact. And we most of the time we use them without thinking about, well, how is that going to affect us? And we may think, well, that sounds sort of silly. For instance, if you drive a car down the street, and everybody knows at one time we didn't have cars. Maybe if you're less than 20, you might think that, that that's a crazy thought, that, not in, you know, that there was a period of time when nobody had a car. Well, we don't think about how cars have changed just in, uh, in lots of different ways. Uh, but electronic devices do. They change how we think, how we interact with one another, uh, socially how we interact with one another. And you, you really have to look at that, and you may, it may be easier as an adult using those to sort of blow that off. But when you talk about kids, uh, normal growth and development of kids, what we know from the science is that they need certain things to allow that to be normal. And while the brain is uh, developing its wiring system uh, as they grow, uh, they're not just wired, ready to go at birth. I mean, that's sort of borne out if you think about it, the same things that are happening with them learning how to walk, learning how to eat even appropriately. You can't just feed them solid food. They can't walk. They can't talk. Those are all processes that have to happen over time. And they're not like a computer. Uh, you know, computer systems, you buy it, it's ready to go. It just needs different software to do what it needs to do. 
the brain uh, in its programming has to do that over time. And it relies heavily on the interaction with other people uh, to to lay down all those wiring systems in the brain between the neurons. Uh, and it takes a long time to do that. And because of the way humans are uh, normally develop, we allow heavily on those interactions. There's been, unfortunately, we have some, a few uh, cases of the extremities of that. When you totally withdraw somebody in abuse situations uh, or in, uh, you know, some even uh, feral, uh, what we call feral situations where a, a human has lived actually with animals for extended periods of time during those developmental phases. And if they make it out of that, almost always their brains are wired so much differently that it's almost impossible for them to come back into the normal uh, society and interact with people. So that's, you know, a lot to say about the biology behind that, because it, it does depend upon how that that individual, that baby, that toddler, uh, that uh, young individual as a child, even up into adolescence, it, it really depends on what they're doing, interacting with other people uh, that really determines how their brain's going to function. And a lot of research is going into right now uh, some of the uh, increases that we've seen for instance, in ADHD, some of the behavioral uh, changes that we see in kids now that might be linked to increased screen time, increased time with these electronic devices. So we're talking about electronic devices and uh, social media today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can reach us this morning if you have any questions or comments by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. So how, how much activity is out there? So just some statistics for you. If you look at adults, let's take adults first and sort of extrapolate, look back down at the data that, um, that uh, we have for kids. So of adults, about 91%, 92% of adults in the United States has access to a mobile phone. And uh, they may not use it that much, but most of them are using it on a daily basis. 60% of Americans have a smartphone, and I think everybody understands what that term is, something that you can use beyond just making a phone call, uh, but it's something that you can access the Internet, that you can use various apps or programs to do different things to connect to people, to connect to other information. So the majority of Americans have access to, the, to that on a daily basis. Now, if we go to kids, um, if you have a child less than two years of age, and I was talking with a resident this morning, and he has a two-year-old, and he was sort of asking me, I told him what we were talking about today, and he said, well, let me ask you something. We've got a two-year-old, and you know, uh, what kind of limitations should we be putting on an iPad or a TV at that age? So less than two years of age, uh, about 40% of uh, children less than two years of age would have access to a mobile device, whether that's an iPad, a tablet, uh, an iPhone, uh, 40%. And that's just access. So, you know, if they have access to it in less than two, somebody's probably given it to them. Uh, to use on a regular basis. Less than eight years of age, if we continue to talk about access to one, 75% of kids in America have access to some type of, of smartphone or mobile device. 
And then, of course, once we get to the teen years, about 80% of them uh, would have uh, a mobile device that they use for social media. Uh, And there's plenty of programs out there. You know, probably some of the more popular ones are Snapchat, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, There's others out there that that they use on on a uh, uh, routine basis. And text, you know, text is a, a... a very instantaneous way to uh, so so fast to talk to other people. So texting from teens, uh, there have been a couple of good studies looking at that, at observational studies about how many texts that uh, that they text in a day. And most of the studies had an average anywhere from sixty texts on the low end to a hundred texts per day, uh, and that's just the average. Uh, so you certainly could have, uh, you know, easy to do, look at your bill and say, okay, how many texts did they have over a time period? Uh, that's a lot. If you think about it, that's a lot of time. And again, if you can go back and think about, okay, time is a finite thing. Uh, we forget that sometimes in what we do. So if kids and adults are spending this much time uh, on these devices, what did that displace? What are the things that we have lost or maybe have decreased in amount of time? Uh, if it's outdoor activities, if it's direct face-to-face interactions with people, and with kids in particular, again, that's how they develop the social skills, but also cognitive skills. And by cognitive skills, we mean the development of the brain that helps them to think through situations, that helps them uh, to understand complex problems and simple problems on a routine basis. So just a question to throw out there. Have you ever been worried about your child's time on an electronic device? If so, give us a call this morning. We want to talk about that. Have you ever been worried about their time on that electronic device? Maybe you bought it or maybe you're about to buy it for Christmas. And, uh, you know, they've been on it for a while. You set some limits. Maybe those limits have been eroded over time. Um, What are you worried about uh, when they're using those electronic devices? Give us a call this morning so we can talk about it. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. When we come back, we're going to talk more about electronic devices and social media right here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Do you have kids? Chances are good that you've embarrassed them. Those new dance moves you were practicing when their friends came over, driving them to school in that old car. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl, the host of Marketplace, and I don't want you to give up your groove, but might I suggest donating that old car to this station? You'll save your kids some embarrassment, and if you upgrade to a newer model, you could be the coolest parents ever. Go to mpbonline.org and find the contribution link on our homepage. We appreciate your support of our programs. 
To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about electronic devices and social media. How does that interact with your kids? What are some of the warning signs to know when enough is enough? Uh, And what are some limitations that you can put on there? Got an email here from Jane. She says, we bought our 10-year-old daughter an iPhone in the spring, and initially we set some limitations on time and, and different apps that she could buy. But what we've noticed is that the more she uses it, she's had a decrease in interest that she's had in the past, like hanging out with her friends or playing other games with her brother and sister. Should we remove it altogether? Is this a good thing, or should we change some of the things that she's doing? Every time we've tried to change that in the past, uh, she's just gotten madder at us and seems to be more sullen. Please help. Sincerely, Jane. Thanks, Jane, for that. And that's a common thing. That's actually a common frustration sometimes, uh, and actually a good example of some of the effects that that an iPhone can have on... uh, on a young uh, young child that's sort of a preteen, so you know, ten year old is a different is a difficult time uh, in and of itself. Even if you didn't have an iPhone there, there's lots of things that are going on. Particularly for a girl, uh, they may have some uh, changes in you know in uh, sexual changes that are going on with starting their men- menses. Uh, lots of growth differentials there, lots of differences in, in growing at different times. And along with that comes a lot of activity for teasing, uh, for, you know, uh, everybody wants to be the same at that age. And you have girls that are two feet taller than boys and uh, all kinds of other stuff happening at the same time. You throw an iPhone in there and there's all kinds of other things that can, can uh, go on. Now, don't want to paint a total negative picture on electronic devices. As I mentioned early on in the program, they're good things. Uh, they're tools that help us to do all kinds of good stuff, and they're not going away. I mean, to, if you really want your child not to use them, that's going to be pretty hard to do over the long term. But what you can do is to teach them how to learn it, um, learn how to use it in ways that can be productive. And really, that's what you want to do as a parent um, with any kind of thing that they're using. So my advice would be to sit down with your 10 year old and, uh, to think about, uh, first of all, don't feel bad about being a parent. Uh, we, I talk about that a lot in clinic with parents. Uh, your job as a parent is not to be your child's friend. Uh, you can be their friend when they grow up, uh, but you'll always number one, be their parent. And as a parent, you had to be the bad guy. If you weren't, you wouldn't be a parent. Um, so sometimes, uh, you know, you, you have to set those limits for their good, uh, and a great analogy to think about, at least in your mind, if your child, you know, if you think about that iPhone, if they're using it inappropriately for whatever reason, if you think about that as a, as a poisonous snake, maybe a copperhead or a rattlesnake, if the child said, Hey, I really want that snake. You would say, of course, no, you can't have that. You can't go pick that up. That's a dangerous thing. They may not understand it. They may pitch a fit about it, but ultimately you're protecting them against, you know, uh, against harm. And that's your job as a parent. So 
setting limits on that iPhone is a good thing. And there's several different ways you can do that. One is a time limit. So uh, we talked a little bit about the time period uh, that uh, that kids are using uh, these electronic devices. Once you get to about 10 most studies show that they're using, uh, that they're accessing some type of screen, whether that's TV, computer, uh, iPhone, tablet, uh, about eight hours a day. So the current in that age range all the way up through adolescence is about seven and a half hours on average. Um, that's almost a full-time job if you think about it. So that's a lot of time that they spend there. And, of course, if they're spending time there, they're not developing those skills. And I think that's probably what you're seeing with your daughter. Um, knowing, you mentioned, you know, sort of limiting the apps that are on there, too. So not it's not just time period that you want to limit, but also you want to have some limitations on what they're using. Uh, I would advocate not feeling bad about looking at their phone. And that should be the agreement that you can look at their phone anytime. Uh, you know, if they have a problem with that, then I would say, who's paying the bill for that? Uh, but uh, that's an important thing to be able to to be familiar with those. And you don't necessarily, you know, a lot of parents get the same apps, uh, you know, that their kids get. I think that's an excellent way to look at them. But you can also uh, go on to some ratings or certainly lots of online rating systems where you can you can access those to try to figure out what's best for them. So those two things to keep in mind, time period on that device, uh, and most at 10, uh, this may be, you know, pretty prohibitive. I would start out with maybe, uh, looking at how many hours a day that they've, uh, they've been uh, looking at it, uh, and maybe cut that back by at least half, um, uh, or less than two hours a day. And that may seem like a lot, you know, when you're going from seven and a half hours a day down to two and a half, two hours a day. But a lot of the behaviors that you're seeing are pretty common. Um, and uh, certainly, again, if you're interacting with a device, you're not developing the same social systems. You're being programmed in a different way than you would be if you're interacting with people. Uh, so I would sit down and, and uh, you know, with your family, with the adults in the family, the caregivers in the family and say, you know, look, we need to set some limits. And then modeling. We'll talk a little bit later in the program about modeling those limits, too, because we certainly are as guilty as adults about modeling those behaviors. I mean, sometimes the adults in the family are the ones that are on the phone uh, uh, or tablet, um, just as long, if not longer, uh, more hours than the teen. So, uh, good luck with that. Always defer to being a parent first, uh, before a friend, uh, your children will respect you for that. They'll certainly be better off for it. If you, if you parent from that perspective. So thank you, Jane, for sharing that. And, uh, good luck with, with your daughter. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about electronic devices and social media this morning. And, been talking about some of those recommendations, you know, two hours, I didn't just pull that out of the air so that uh, that's based on a lot of research that's been done through the American Academy of Pediatrics. And actually, less than two years of age, we recommend no screen time. I know that's hard to do. Uh, certainly, it's so easy as a time filler or on long uh, trips in the car to uh, just put in, you know, put an iPad in front of a uh, two-year-old or less, and uh, it certainly makes that time go by a lot faster. But from a developmental standpoint, probably not the best thing for them. And then ages uh, 2 to 18, less than two hours a day of screen time. And again, that that refers to both phones, iPads, and uh, TV, uh, any kind of, of electronic uh, uh, media that they're passively interacting with. 
Um, there are some warning signs and indicators about this. Uh, so, you know, if you if you think that things might be going wrong, they probably are. Always listen to that. You know, I always listen to my parents of my patients coming in and they say, I just have a feeling that something's going on. Um, whether that's a physical problem or it's a problem with something like electronic devices and social media, uh, that's always a good thing to listen to as a physician um, if if they perceive that something's going on. So if you've ever, so the, again, these are some warning signs. If you've ever questioned these kinds of things, um, if your child would prefer a conversation with the phone or interaction with a device instead of with a person face to face, and if they have, when they have interactions with the person, if, uh, you know, they're not u- utilizing those social skills, and these are age related, certainly, you know, shyness plays into that a good bit, but by the time they're a preteen, you know, nine and 10 years old, they should be interacting with uh, another person, particularly an adult face to face in an appropriate manner. But if you see some signs of that, you might, that might be a warning sign that they're spending too much time on that device. If they have missed assignments or missed chores uh, and they seem to be, uh, you know, on the device instead of those, that's a warning sign. Uh, if you've noticed some increase in attentiveness or forgetfulness, uh, that's also a warning sign. And then finally, changes in mood, as we mentioned with Jane's email, uh, that's that can be a warning sign as well, uh, and that you need to address both the time and uh, set some limits there. And it's okay to, you know, it's not, it, particularly if they're older uh, kids, to, um, you know, allow them to sort of um, um, have a part in, in determining those limits. But, uh, you know, if they say, hey, I think I ought to be on my phone 10 hours a day, that's probably not, uh, obviously that's probably not a good thing. Got another email here from Deborah. She says, my kids are too young for cell phones right now, but at church I heard about apps marketed directly to kids that has an icon that makes it look like a calendar or calculator app, but when opened are actually apps with unprotected browsers and space for pictures and other stuff. They're password protected, and some are even protected with duplicate passwords that allow the user to de- to default to the calculator or calendar when parents are watching or prying, and a different password to get to the actual intended use for the app. This is frightening. Number one, three, three questions that Deborah has. Uh, how can these app makers get away with that? Number two, how do the app stores get away with approving that? And number three, is there any way to prevent it? Thanks for this topic. It's so important, Deborah. You know, that's that's one of the scary things here uh, that we have to deal with is a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of people would call these predatory apps um, that actually cater to younger kids that look really fun, that allow them to do things in secret. And what kid doesn't like uh, something that's secretive, uh, that they can hold on to that is information. It's sort of secrets give people a perception, at least of power over other people or over certain aspects of their own lives. Uh, All of these app makers that use these, uh, they try to do that. Now, a lot of them will, uh, you know, be policed a lot. But honestly, there's not a whole lot of regulation in this yet. Um, There are some rating systems, uh, particularly if you you get these apps through iTunes or through Android systems. There's there's a way to... um, uh, to look at the ratings for that. And if it's over, you know, if your child is, is eight and it says 12 plus, uh, and it gives some reasons why it's 12 and o- over, that's inappropriate. I mean, that you really shouldn't allow that. And, um, uh, 
you know, one thing that we have set up at our house, and I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, is any app that they buy is in a family system. So it's tied to my account, and I will get a notification uh, that uh, either my youngest or oldest child is requesting an app to buy. So they can't actually buy an app without my approval. And it gave, gives me some time either to look at that directly. Uh, of course, the the marketing uh, for that may be a little bit uh, confusing. So sometimes I'll delay that till you can look at it uh, a little bit later to see what the rating systems are and, and find out a little bit more about it. But it does take a lot of detective work to figure that out. Um, you know, the app stores, uh, they don't, uh, this is a money making, this is not, you know, this is a business. Uh, you have to keep that in mind. In businesses, most of the time they can be altruistic and, and, uh, they can have, uh, you know, they can be, have a, a lot of things that they market and develop for, uh, the good of your child and your family. But at the bottom line is they're trying to make money. And the more money they can make off of certain apps, whether that's something that they utilize, uh, something that they can advertise on, uh, or they can allow other people to access your children, uh, that's, that's part of the business that's that scary part. Uh, but those are some, some uh, loose uh, you know, recommendations that you can, you can uh, try to, to leverage that and, and make sure that you have an umbrella to protect your kids from accessing those more dangerous apps. Uh, learn as much as, as you can about these. And if you're just not tech savvy on that, find out from somebody who is. There's plenty of people around you. Uh, start talking to some other parents about that. There are filter apps, but as, as Deborah mentioned, you know some of these apps sort of masquerade behind uh, uh, what looks like a kid app but really has more adult level uh, levels behind it that switch over. And again, you, there's no way to really uh, mask that on a phone besides, you know, the access to it. But I, I think one of the most important things is that access to getting it in the first place. Uh, if you can set that system up on their phones and, and think about this too. You, you mentioned that uh, she mentioned that her kids are too young for smartphones right now. Uh, but they probably will be later on. That's an excellent discussion to have at home is when is the correct time? When is the right time? There's not a magic age uh, that a child reaches. What is going to be the primary use for that phone? Because I know a lot of parents have a lot of um, angst over where their children are, over uh, you know how much access they have to them as parents, uh, that they want them to be able to access them, and a phone allows them to do that. Uh, that's true. If that's the only initial um, benefit that you would like them to have with a phone, then maybe a smartphone is not the best phone for them. Maybe they need an old what used to be called a flip phone uh, that doesn't have all that access to the Internet or to apps uh, or social media. Uh, that may be and it gives them a great time as a younger child to really demonstrate those those maturity levels and skills that they need that's going to at least uh, give you a little bit uh, better understanding if they're ready for those smartphones, if they're, you know, if they're using that, that first phone appropriately like that. Hey, thanks, Deborah, for that. That's a difficult thing, and it's certainly a scary world out there that you have to protect your kids from, and uh, it's not easy. It's certainly not easy with how savvy children can be. Uh, I was sitting next to a four-year-old last night, and uh, she was uh, zipping through her iPod and all kinds of, of uh, 
benign apps on that and showing me things and navigating a whole lot faster than I probably could. So it's amazing how how uh, well they pick up on that at an early age. We're, we're talking about electronic devices and social media this morning and the impacts it has on us and our families. We'd love to hear from you this morning. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'd love to hear from your calls. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. For the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. This is Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about electronic devices and social media and its impact on our kids and our families and how do we deal with that as a parent? How do you protect them against everything that's out there, as Deborah mentioned to us? And how do you really set those limits uh, for what, they, uh, what they're using? And, you know, too much of a good thing sometimes is a bad thing. So it's important to teach your children that. And uh, it's so easy to not think about it, to just give them a phone and send them off on their merry way. But uh, I promise you, most families that do that and it sort of gets out of hand, uh, it doesn't take long for them to... Uh, want that time back that they remember having with their parents. So so what are some of the specific things? We've mentioned these a little bit that it might be affecting kids. Um, we know that more screen time, more time on these devices and, uh, and using them, that there's lots of different effects at different ages. If we take toddlers, for instance, uh, less than the age of two, 
increased screen time has been linked to the delay in language skills uh, just because they uh, kids pick up language in two different ways. One is by listening and the other is by watching. So if you'll notice a toddler, when you say a different word to them or even when you're, you're speaking to them, uh, they, they're looking at your lips, they're looking at your face to try to figure out how you're making those sounds and hearing it at the same time and processing that. So it's a two-way street. They have to, to really interact to receive those sounds into their ears, be translated to the brain, and then in uh, the area of their brain that makes that speech to, to do the same thing back to you as an imitation. And if you're not doing that with them, uh, if they have more time on the TV or on an iPad, those, that's going to take away part of that time and delay those language skills. Um, delayed development, so co- not just cognitive skills or language skills, but uh, those uh, gross motor skills. Gross motor skills are things like walking, uh, appropriately running, um, uh, you know, doing different things uh, to avoid obstacles. Um, if they have less active play, and most kids coming into first grade will have on average about one to one and a half hours uh, of, of active play. Some of them have, uh, unfortunately, less time than that. Uh, and it, it usually uh, now it does not persist unless they're involved in, in other active sports um, you know, much beyond early childhood. But if they get less and less of that, they certainly those, those caught those, um, um, gross motor skills, uh, uh, in physical activity will decrease. We've talked about, uh, electronic use in the past and bedtime and how the different wavelengths of light on devices, um, uh, affect the way the brain regulates day and night cycles so that it decreases the brain brain stimulus to go to sleep. Uh, The same thing goes, you know, now, uh, thankfully, they've impacted this a little bit with uh, changes in ambient light that the device gives off. So it'll be sort of a warmer glow, uh, less of the blue wavelengths that activate the brain to stay awake. But even then, if they're actively doing something on a device, it's still going to keep them up at night. So uh, don't let that uh, don't let that fool you into thinking that they're going to get to sleep earlier. School performance, um, you know, devices at school, certainly uh, using those devices for positive um, school-based means are important. There have been some limited studies on looking at, uh, they really don't uh, affect school performance very much. So schools that are using or integrated these into their curriculum really haven't gained anything over schools that have used a more traditional uh, non-electronic means of teaching things. Uh, to the to the children over time, uh, except when it's when it's uh, applied to actually using those things later on. So, for instance, the school that that utilizes electronic devices, their kids are better able to navigate those later on uh, if they pick those up in college or beyond. Uh, and the other kids have a little bit of a learning curve. But if you look at other outcomes, standardized testing outcomes, entrance into colleges, uh, there's really no difference there between the two groups. Uh, childhood aggression and other behavioral disorders, uh, particularly as it relates to the types of things that they're doing. Uh, if your child is playing uh, aggressive games, uh, that's going to, and they're doing it a lot, that's going to, um, you know, there's certainly all kinds of stuff out there that uh, is really violent if you watch it. I mean, it's like uh, lots of blood and gore that your child might be seeing on a regular basis. 
what you're doing is you're habituating them to that so that they uh, they think that it's okay. Those kinds of behaviors are okay the more they see them. Uh, there's a lot of studies from kids that are exposed to war situations, actual war. When they see that over and over and over over time, even if it's not uh, perpet- if it's if they're not receiving that uh, behavior, if they watch it, it makes it easier for them to uh, do the same behaviors later on. Uh, when they're an older child or an adult. So the same kind of things with video games we see in war situations. Um, so those things, uh, again, probably aren't good. Really want to look at the at the ratings for those. And even beyond that, investigate those kinds of games to try to make sure it's appropriate for your child so that you don't have increases in aggression. Um tantrums because of gadgets and you know kids are really good at manipulating situations so that they can have access to them uh think about it like any other toy that they might have or any other thing that they might have if it's you know if it's causing a lot of problems you want to get that away from them so those are some of the known uh uh, things that have impacted kids uh since introduction of these devices um one thing that we should talk about at least a little bit, and I've heard uh, this, I know it's a sensitive subject, so people might not be as apt to call in about it or to share uh, what they're going through, but cyberbullying is a big one, and uh, sexual or inappropriate uh, information, whether that's a, a, a text or it's an um, uh, image of, of a child, somebody else, or themselves that they're posting, uh, that's a big issue, and again, um, Part of the problem is that these devices, uh, if you think about it, they a, f- a smartphone gives you, uh, allows you to be connected with somebody, and it removes the distance between you and them. But uh, as uh, I've heard Dr. Susan Buttress talk about this a lot, it also has sort of a contra uh, effect that you wouldn't think about, and uh, that is that because you feel like it's a bigger distance, you're, the more distance a person perceives, whether that's a child or an adult, between them and someone else, the more apt they are to share inappropriate information or uh, hurtful information. So if I'm face-to-face with somebody, I'm less likely to uh, get mad at them, cuss them out, uh, call them ugly names, uh, you know, uh, show them you know, body parts that don't need to be shown. Uh, and then if you suddenly, if you do the same thing, same thing through a, a device, a phone or a tablet, there's a perception there of a distance that allows you to easily uh, do that without thinking that there's going to be a consequence or the same kind of uh, response back. So because of that, uh, particularly in, in kids, uh, there's a lot of issues with cyberbullying, Um Social media is really set up, uh, no matter what the platform, uh, to tie into your emotional centers in your brain, whether you're a kid or adult. If you use social media, you use it because there's an emotional attachment to that device. Those are the way that they're developed. So if you have a lot of negative behaviors or things that are said about you on that, unless you just love to get negative comments back, uh, you, you're probably not going to use it too long, and it's going to have a lot of effects. But that's the way those are set up. It's key to really understanding how easy it is for kids to connect with other people. And what you want is you want a lot of positive feedback through those. Uh, so it's you know that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, Doctor Stewart, I've I've seen where like on Periscope 
Yep. A thing to do is to like log on and do a live Periscope and and I, I, I don't remember the terminology for it, but basically ask people to clown on you, just like yeah. and, like make fun <laughs> of you and insult you. Yeah. That's. That's strange, sort man. Of masochistic, isn't it? I, that's weird. Why is that cool? Well, you think about it. You know, it's always been. Uh, most of us could think back to some kid in your school that to get attention, it has to really, it has to do with our need for attention, and for some people, whether it's a kid or an adult. Some people are so uh, hooked up to where they want some attention that negative attention is just as good as as positive attention. Yeah. So, you know, you can always think back to that kid in school that would do really stupid stuff, and they got in <laughs> trouble all the time, and you're like, why do you do that? And they're like, well, they just seem to like it. They seem to thrive on that. Yeah. Uh, or the kid that didn't mind getting beat up all the time. It's because of that attention. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens. It happens. It's because of that attention. If you really get to the bottom and if you dive through all those layers of why they're doing it, it's because they need attention all the time in some ways. Same thing with class clowns. Uh, it's just a little bit different. Now, you may look at it and say, why are they inviting all that negative emotion back to them? But that's a big part of it is just they that even negative attention is good. Four-year-olds, you, you'll have some four-year-olds that parents will say, I don't understand. I get on to them. They're in timeout all day long. Um, you know, I, 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 I've tried all kinds of different things. Um, and I'll often say, have you tried ignoring them? Because uh, for a lot of them, that is the negative feedback that really resonates with them. They would rather... Be it, you know, have you telling them that was wrong, uh, you yeah. know, and they they crave that so much that the that they don't perceive that as negative feedback, and you know sometimes that persists after a while. But you're right, I have heard about that on Periscope, and there's just some kids and and people that are sort of wired that way that they have to have that they want to be. Uh, you know, they they were probably in medieval times. They would have the funny hats on and uh, be made fun of in the court jester, uh, you know, but they, it's pretty it's linked to the same kind of uh, system. So we're all wired a little bit differently about that. If you're a parent and you have a kid that that is so desperate for attention that they'll seek even negative attention because they know it's maybe that's a shortcut or easier to get as a parent. Uh, do you ask yourself if you're doing something wrong and not showing them enough attention or, I mean, not to try to like over coddle or whatever you want to say, your, your kids or anything like that or make them too soft or anything. But, you know, that, that thought would at least cross my mind. Like why, if, what am, am I doing something wrong that want to make my kid be desperate enough for that attention that they'll even do things wrong willingly, knowingly, right. Right. consciously just to just to get that attention. Yeah, sure. I, I think every every good parent thinks that. They think, okay, what have I done? Certainly there's a lot of blame, self-blame about that. And you, you sort of touched on something that a lot of parents do is to overcompensate for that. If they say, if somebody else says, hey, I really think your son or daughter, they're, uh, they're really doing these things to get more attention. Uh, sometimes as a parent, you'll overcompensate and give them all kinds of attention that may have negative effects too. Um, some of the best things is to try, and again, this is sort of age related, is to try to direct a lot of those behaviors that those kids are doing into something else, something that they're good at, something that they enjoy that's productive and not, um, 
you know, not something that's going to be them getting, uh, you know, people just that yelling on them, giving negative feedback uh, and cutting behaviors too. same kind of thing. Uh, a lot of that is uh, is a, you know, they may be hurting in lots of different ways and they transfer the pain, that emotional pain to a physical pain that's easier to deal with. And for some kids, it's a lot easier to at least get some attention, even if it's if it's somebody making fun of them, calling them names, uh, saying mean, ugly things to them. That's going to be at least something that fills that void that they have. But if you can sort of point them in other directions, uh, maybe, you know, those kids, they may want to perceive acting, uh, you know, in school plays and that kind of thing. That may be a direction that they can go in where they can have some of the same thing where you can say, hey, at the end of the night, you have applause for this. Or, you know, you get paid a little bit or those, you know, redirection uh, of behaviors in kids is an excellent tool to try to use uh, to, to get them to go in the right direction. Because sometimes they'll be trying really hard and just head off in the wrong direction. But that's pretty common, you know, that we have to deal with as parents. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about electronic devices and social media and its impact on our families and kids. And got a couple of more things that we're going to touch on. Plenty of time for you to call in if you have a question or comment. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to be right back after this break. The election is over, and the nation has a new president, Donald Trump, and a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will keep bringing you the best coverage from coast to coast to help you make sense of it all. So listen every day. This is an important message for all MPB viewers who use an antenna to receive MPB TV. On Monday, December 12th, our Dot One and Dot Two channels will change. MPB HD will move to Dot One. A brand new 24-7 children's channel, PBS Kids, will premiere soon on Dot Two. Subchannels Dot Three and Four will continue to carry Create TV and MPB Think Radio just as before. Cable and satellite viewers shouldn't be affected. If you have questions, please visit our website at mpbonline.org. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about electronic devices this morning and their social media and all kinds of different things that, uh, you know, I just looking back about what we've been talking about, it almost seems like you just want to throw all these things away sometimes, but they can be useful. Uh, they can be useful. Uh, it, it really, in, in being growing up when I did, I was born in 1970, and what I've seen so far you know, I remember people talking about the computer the same way and the uses of the computer. And certainly it has a lot of negative uses, uh, you know, the same things we're talking about with electronic devices and social media, the Internet. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things out there 
that people can can leverage that your kids uh, innocently can uh, can explore in ways that aren't productive and uh, just like you wouldn't take them into new situations uh, you know geographically if you go on trips on vacation you'd want to check out where they're going to go who they're going to be with you want to do the same thing in cyberspace uh, about who they're going to interact with we're just talking about cyberbullying and para- using Periscope and other apps like that and uh, to uh, you know, to to gain and seek behaviors. Now, girls uh, are more likely to utilize those kinds of things, and there's more cyberbullying uh, perpetrated by girls and received by girls than boys. So it's it's certainly there's something about the way that they're wired that um, growing up that most of them are a little bit more at risk than guys. Not to say that boys don't do it, and certainly they're not. Uh, immune to it, but um, but you do want to watch out about that. Uh, what about parents? Well, I got to talk about parents because you know I'm guilty of doing this sometimes. Uh, I get hooked because these. Let's face it these these people who develop apps are geniuses because they know human behavior, and the ones that are very successful, like Facebook, uh, obviously they knew what they were doing when they developed them because it. It connects with people in ways that we've never seen before uh, quite in the same way that that really triggers. And that's what, the reason why they're not fads so far. There's not anything that sort of replaced has replaced that yet. Um, and as adults, we're just as vulnerable to that with our time. Um, and certainly a lot of, you know, it's funny. Sometimes families will come in. Mom and dad will come in together with their kids for their kids' appointment. And uh, during the course of that appointment, they'll start talking about the use of, of devices and social media. And uh, all of a sudden, it just deteriorates into this back and forth between mom and dad and where one of them says, but he or she's on there all the time. I mean, then it just that sort of devolves into this, uh, you know, this this war between who's using their phone or devices as much. But that's that is a big issue. Certainly modeling those behaviors is a big deal have been studies that looked at kids usage and when you when you start to get some information about the adults the caregivers in that family um and older children for that matter if and it's no surprise if the adults use their devices more the kids are more likely to use their devices more because they see it as something that's the norm uh to do same thing if the use of of uh phones when you drive uh, certainly not the the most safe thing to do. I uh, certainly don't want to do that. But yet, kids that see their parents doing that are more likely to do that when they learn to drive. So, you know, adults certainly are part of the uh, the picture uh, with modeling those kinds of things. Um, uh, sleep deprivation, we're just as susceptible to that. So, using your device at night. Uh, and first thing in the morning, you know, get that several people have just raised their hands in the studio. They're guilty of that, myself included. Um, so, you know, that's that's a that's a big issue. So thanks for joining us today as we talk about this. It's a big issue that we deal with. Hey, be a parent out there. You can be a great parent by taking a stand for your kids in issues like this. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, who was also our call screener. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you can join us every Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. 
This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi.